So that's not our intro. Let's go ahead and get started with this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Choose Strong Podcast. I am your host, Sally McRae, and I am joined by... Why don't you just say my name? Why do I, I go know, say it? I just, I like to hear you talk and I'm trying to think of different ways to get you to talk more. And I think that's a great way to launch is... No, the one way is that you be quiet and then I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where we're going to start? Yeah. That's where this podcast is going? Because I think people tuned in <laughs> knowing that they were going to be learning about how to run their first ultra. Yeah. But instead, you are telling me that I talk too much. Yeah. I'll um, handle this question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll suddenly, take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly, this podcast got really interesting. This is a comedy hour, apparently. If we're going to have you answer that question, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to give a very warm welcome and a big bear hug to all of our listeners right now. You rock. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for opening up Spotify, Apple, however you listen to us. And as you scrolled through the many options that you have to listen to podcasts, because there are literally millions, you chose the Choose Strong podcast. And we are so grateful. So every download matters. Every rating and review and feedback that we get means a lot to us. So whether you are heading out for a run, a ride, uh, getting in that solid pump at the gym, as Eddie likes to say, look, at you just lit yeah, up when I said I like a that. pump I like that. at the gym. Eddie likes a good pump. <laughs> I think Eddie's looking forward to my off season, which is going to kick off in about 10 days because I lift like six to seven days a week in my off season and I love it. Did you just start Sorry, the music? I meant to like click on something that... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are very grateful that you are here. And um, before we dive into today's topic, which is going to be really helpful, I think, um, insightful and fun for everyone listening, I do want to just turn your attention to Racing Tahoe documentary. This launched two days ago. Um, within two days, it already has over 80,000 views, which is really blown all of us away. Our whole team is like, wow, we were not expecting that kind of response. So we only see it fit to first thank you. Thank you for watching it, for um, the incredible comments and feedback. We've, we've gotten tons of emails and direct messages on Instagram, the comments on the posts that we've put out about it. And of course, um, all the comments on, on YouTube have been amazing and uh, have really warmed my heart because, and I wrote this in a post today, it was a thank you post. I said, everything that I put out, the messaging really means a lot to me. And Eddie, you and I had a discussion about this last night at dinner. And I was talking about how, you know, when we are doing what we love when we're able to really harness our our purpose in life, when we really understand like, oh, this is what I feel like I was, I was born to do. This is like what sets my heart on fire. Uh -huh. I love doing this. Running has been that to me since the time I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. I have loved running. And I think that once I hit the season in my life where I started losing a lot of things that were precious to me, when I entered many years of of pain and and struggle and uh, questioning like why in the world am I here? Cause it's just really painful to be living. I also started to 
create a very different relationship with my goals. Um, Because at that time, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And that was one of the biggest things uh, to me. I wanted to be the best in the world. I wanted to to own lots of trophies. I wanted that cover on the magazine. I wanted to be known as this incredible athlete. But I think something happens when we lose a lot, when we are in, especially uh, specifically, when we're faced with death, you start to understand what is the most precious things in life. And the most important things in life are our relationships. And I thought, I know that uh, I love sport. I have this body that endures and loves to endure. And it's it's a, a, a sturdy frame that I've been given. And I just feel like I don't know if it's going to be fulfilling that I spend my entire life chasing after medals and PRs. And I love to compete, but like, what else is there? And as I made my way into the ultra world, that was the commitment that I made to myself. It's essentially how uh, the name Yellow Runner came about. It was twofold with that story. If you've read my book, uh, there's a whole chapter called Yellow Runner. I tell the story about where that came from. But genuinely, it's about living a life that shines, living courageously, no matter the circumstance. And I think that whenever we put content out, my greatest joy, my the greatest fulfillment that I find is being able to love on and encourage others to live their life in the most courageous way that they possibly can, no matter how hard life gets, to keep believing in this one life that you get to live. Because no one can live it for you, and no one can feel what you feel. And and I'm talking about like 100% of the time, we can have compassion, empathy, and say, I've been there before, I know what that feels like. But I think the thoughts that we have from the moment we wake up, to when we fall asleep, those desires that we have, those those dreams that we've carved out for ourselves, only you can make those things happen. No one else. And you know, I I look at Eddie across the table from me, and I realize how supportive Eddie has been of me since I since we became friends back when we were eighteen. He's just been so supportive and encouraging, and has always stood by my side. But never was there a time that he could step into my shoes and and do what I do or achieve things for me. He's wanted to help every possible way. But I think that when we believe in that, when we believe like no one can do this for me, it also helps us move forward when things are hard or when we're, we got those critics uh, or those negative voices in our head and we realize I have to make this um, happen. And we do that by choosing strong, you know, strong mind, strong body, strong love. That's where that comes from. And I think with the Tahoe 200 documentary, clearly I was not planning on having uh, the day that I did out there, but I had to make a choice halfway through that race to be better than I was in those previous miles and my previous racing, my previous days. And so we really hope that as you guys consume the content that we put out, whether you've watched the Cocodona Every Step Forward film um, or any of all the the content we put out earlier this year, we have a, a lot of films on there in our series, but then this Tahoe 200 film as well. We just hope that you find encouragement and that you understand that 
our greatest joy is to use running as the shiny object to pull you in and encourage you, whatever your goal is in life, because you don't need to run an ultra. You don't need to run 200s. You don't even need to, to like running to follow along and listen to this podcast and consume the content to really understand um, that your life is valuable and that whatever it is that you're going after is worthwhile. So thank you again for those of you that have um, that have watched the film and you've shared it. It means a lot to us. We are heading out to Moab the day after tomorrow, the yeah. last race in the Grand Slam of 200s is coming. This Friday, October 13th at 12 p.m., Moab 240 begins. And this will be the final race of my 2023 season. This race will uh, also, you know, put a put a button on the racing miles for the season, which will total out to over 1,100 racing miles, uh, the most racing miles I've ever done in my career. Very grateful to be towing the line injury free to get through these races injury free. Yeah, we had some ripped up skin, but I've I've never not been able to train and get back out there. And, and continue moving forward. So I'm so grateful that the body held up. Uh, just just some ripped up this. skin, just a just little some, bit. Just a tiny just a bit. Min minor. I'm keeping it minor for those listening. People don't want to hear about that anymore. They're sick of it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, and, you know, I had this, we had a discussion about this this morning. I said, it has been such a gift to be able to do this. Not, it. Uh, you know, we're not seeing hundreds of thousands of people um, do the Grand Slam of 200s, rightfully so. We now understand what, what it takes going in and we're going to do a really great recap of that from finances, time commitment, what it's doing to your body, um, the type of training, all that stuff. I'm excited to kind of break that down during my off season and really give you guys some good data um, and insight into that. But I'm very grateful to be at just a couple days out because I'm feeling good. I am excited to race. I'm especially excited about the people that are going to be there with us. Ed, do you want to like break down who is going to be on your team, crew and pacers? Yeah. I we got, have a big list of people. Yeah. Got uh, Leo Fung, which is, uh, he, he crewed you up at Bigfoot uh, when I wasn't able to be there. Joe Corsione. 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 Yeah. <laughs> he will be stepping in and helping and pacing. Also a podcaster, Everyday Ultra. He yes. has a wonderful podcast, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe Corsione, he is, will go down in history as the pacer who paced me the most miles ever. He paced me for 100 miles at Bigfoot 200. That's insane. No one's ever done that. Uh, he literally went and ran 100 miles. And Crazy. offered his body to do that because that was a massive breakdown. I mean, that's a lot of training and pushing through just to support me. So that yeah. was huge. So we got Joe Corsione, we got Leo Fung, we got the winner of Cocodona 250. Yes. It's going to step in. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah Ostawutski. Ostawutski. I'm not even going to try I'm, that I'm, last I name. I always pronounce her name incorrectly. She's incredible, incredible yeah. human. Um, she has a twin sister named Melissa. Mm -hmm. Sarah just signed professionally with, um, oh man, I'm so upset that I did not write it down. But she, if you can follow her on Facebook, please do. But she has been crushing it this year um, and just got signed as a pro. And her her sister's equally incredible. But I got to meet, connect by way of Cocodona, because we were both like on on Joe Corsione's podcast. So we connected that way through the podcast. And then she uh, won Cocodona in just a blazing fast time. Just amazing athlete. So very grateful to have her out there. We yeah. also have... 
The uh, Billy. Billy Yang is making an appearance again he'll be to pacing. put up with my, to put up with me again. So yeah, so he'll be pacing. And then Drew and Tyler be out there to film. To film. Yeah, we have a, a oh in summer. Oh yeah, summer. summer. If you guys That's watched right. the Cocodona film, my pacer summer, who she was incredible. Yeah, she's awesome. She is just like one of those like quiet strength, like yeah, very peaceful. At moments, she reminded me of you, Eddie. Just always like how like, fast she is, like or just just her, <laughs> her personality. <laughs> she has a very like peaceful, steady personality. Oh, like yeah. so, it doesn't matter like what I was going through. It was a, a whirlwind inside. Like she was very just steady yeah. and, and peaceful, and I feel like that's who you are. I can come into the aid station and you are not, you don't attach yourself to drama or react if someone else is being yeah. dramatic. Like you, you know how to be chill and be rooted in your emotions, which I think is a very powerful trait. Summer is wonderful. She also, uh, she pays me for like 88 miles or that's almost right. 90 miles. I yeah. think it was actually 90 miles at Cocodona. So, mm. but also a phenomenal athlete, incredible mountain runner, she's so strong on the climbs. And she's, she's very competitive as well. Joe, Sarah and Summer are, are pretty competitive and they're all very fast. Uh, they're all very strong and fit. So I'm just incredibly grateful mm-hmm. that they are offering their time, their energy, their, their training days to be out there to support me. Mm. And I don't take that for granted. Um, I know that people have often wondered about the pacing just anyway. When it comes to ultras, uh, I'd say in the 200 distance, 200 mile distance, even if you don't know anyone that paces, if you go into a Facebook page, which all the races have a Facebook page and say you need pacers or even crew, you're going to find them. They're going to be strangers, but there's people there that love doing that. Mm -hmm. There is an element of safety though. And if you watch my Tahoe 200 film, you'll understand why um, they encourage you to have pacers more over towards the end of your race. You know, there's there's this idea, too, where if if you aren't sleeping and the longer you're out there, the longer you're ex- you, you have that exposure and you're going without sleep, you will be more susceptible to being disillusioned and having hallucinations and you kind of put other people at risk too. Like if you go wandering off the trail because you have no idea where you are and you're hallucinating um, and you get lost, I mean, that's there's search and rescue that has to go look for you. So I know some people who are not in the sport have asked me this, well, that sounds like cheating or isn't that an advantage or doesn't seem fair to people who can't get pacers. You 100% can get pacers if you put yourself out there and ask. You put it out in the Facebook race page and people will pace you. And not only that, if the race offers it and everyone has free reign for it, then no, there there is no advantage for you. So I meet uh, runners all the time in these races say, I don't have any pacers. I don't have any crew. And um, it's kind of like a twofold. It could be just that they didn't, weren't aware that you could just find strangers. You find people on the, on the race page to do that. But some people just don't take the time either. Um, they don't think about it till the end. Like, oh yeah, I should probably get some pacers. Or I should probably get some crew. And so I feel like if the longer distance that you're in, especially if you're brand new to it, you might want to research that. I don't think I've ever heard of someone saying, I looked for weeks and weeks to find crew and pacers and I just couldn't find anyone. It's, I mean, there, there are people in the community that that's actually all they do. They love to pace and crew. And I've been at races too, where sometimes people in the community just show up at the aid stations where pacing starts and they are like, Hey, I'm available here to, to pace someone if someone needs it. So all races have their rules on that. Do that's, some that's runner, I don't know the answer to this question. That's what I'm asking. Do mm-hmm. some 
people, I would, I would, I think I know the answer, but do some people, like if they're like, I want to run this race mm-hmm. next year, mm-hmm. I'm going to pace it. I'm going to find, find a way to pace it so that yeah. I can get on the course. Is yes. that, or do they, That's and, a great do they, question. do they use these pacing like sections as like training runs for maybe a different rate? Is that, is that what typically happens or no? I mean, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's even some races where the race directors, especially if it's a lottery or application process. I know for Badwater, mm-hmm. they love if you have had crew and pacing experience. Yeah, I knew that. The race is That's so right. extreme that they want you to to understand what it's like to be out there, mm-hmm. to experience it, because there's nothing to compare it to. On the flip side, this is, this is totally great. Billy was super excited to pace me. And, and Billy's been in the ultra world forever and we've done tons of events and, and racing stuff. But like this race particularly fell at a really good time as far as a time frame goes before he was going to go run Was- Wasatch 100. So he's like, dude, this will be a great way for me to get like some good mileage in. Same with Joe. So Joe was starting to put in bigger miles um, when I was doing Bigfoot. So when I talked to both of them, I was like, dude, I don't, I don't want to take away from your training. I don't want to, you know, please don't feel bad if you can only do one section. But both of them are like, no, like I want to see this course because I possibly want to do it one day. Okay. Um, or like I want I need to get some training miles in. I need to get some night running in. So yes, some people will show up to pace because they need big miles in their training. And they know that if they're pacing someone, they're not gonna be running like super fast. They're because slow, yeah. a lot of times the pacing starts later in the race. So even for 200s, most of the time you can't start pacing someone until like 60, 70 miles in. So no runners like hammering in at a seven minute, six minute pace. Like a lot of them have slowed down quite a bit because Mm -hmm. you're that far in. Um, And then just the overall mileage is so great that everyone's average at the end of the day is is relatively slow if you were to compare it to like racing a road marathon or something like that. So yes, people do like to use this to see the course. And I talk to pacers all the time. They're like, I'm I'm just so happy to see the course. I want to crew and pace so I can get some recon in. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So um, we kind of took a little tangent there, but we can kind of steer all this. And this is a great discussion because we can kind of steer this back into today's topic, which is running your first ultra. And I'll put this in the notes too. I think that the stuff we're going to share today isn't necessarily even pertain to just running your first ultra, but some some key tips and insight that you can also apply if this is your 10th ultra, your 50th ultra. And I believe we could probably make this podcast like four hours long because there's my career has been so long Mm. that I've learned a lot. I still feel like I'm learning. In fact, I fear the day that I'm not learning anymore. I always want to be a student of this sport. So the disclaimer on this one is I am not, you know, all time expert on everything ultra because I too am learning. And I try to every year challenge myself in a new way. I try to I try new things every year and this year is about the 200s and, you know, I felt like a rookie all over again in many ways throughout this process. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about today uh, does come from my beginning years, but also it comes from repetition. 
having done these things over and over and over and over again, the tried and true things. But also I know for Eddie, you've, you've been out there the past couple of years, you know, I've done a lot of racing and just even the last two years Mm -hmm. have really piled on the racing. And so, you know, you've been all over the world with me across the country with me, and you've had those moments where you've just gotten to sit aid stations and observe what other people are doing, uh, how people operate. And you have gotten to see that like, wow, there isn't one perfect way to do this. And you see how people communicate, what they're using, how runners are when they go in, how they leave, how long they stay in the aid stations. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting to break down running your first ultra because I think what you guys are going to understand at the end of this podcast is that the best way to run your first ultra is to actually just get out there and get on the get put the training in and get on the start line because you're going to start to carve out your own journey and find what works for you because these distances are so great. You can't just do what everyone else is doing and think that that is going to be the best way for you. We're going to talk about gear. We're going to talk about nutrition. We're going to talk about pacing, picking a route. um, And then of course, share some stories, some personal stories that, uh, you know, probably bring up a little bit of laughter and insight that you can, you can relate to. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess we can rewind all the way back to 2009, And 2009 is when I first started training for my first ultra. I've told this story many times. I got into ultras purely out of curiosity. So read about them in a runner's world magazine. Like those of you listening who have done ultras before or who are also curious about maybe doing one one day, I thought, and we hear this a lot, I thought that's crazy. That is crazy that people can run 50, 100 miles in one go. And the way I use crazy, and I think we also have to give grace to people when they say, oh, that's crazy or you're crazy. I use crazy as in like crazy awesome. Mm -hmm. Like that's crazy awesome. Or like that is amazing or shocking or like incredible. I don't always think that when people tell me I'm crazy that that it's like you, you belong in a psych ward. Some people probably do think that, but I think that we kind of use the word interchangeably as like, it's, it's shocking. It's amazing. It's astounding. And that's how I was when I read this runner's world magazine is like, that is incredible. That is crazy that a human body can do that. I want to do that. It's like when you use the word sick, that's sick. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you're not sick in the head. It's like, that's rad. Yeah. That's that's rad. That's sick, bro. Sick, bro. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, I man. get you. So um, diving in, I started training in fall of 2009. The only thing that I really understood about ultras was what I found on social media. So I'm sure like many of you, when you are researching something new, you know, whether it's like a new recipe or you want to get into, you know, a new sport or a hobby or even like a team or an athlete, like we go to social media a lot and we try to learn everything we can by captions, pictures, uh, studying people's bios, reading race reports. I That's what I did. At the time in the year 2009, ultra running had a very different, it was a smaller community, I would say. It was much more difficult to find any type of training program. There was some old school stuff out there that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like what, what um, does old school mean? So old school ultra training was like run five to six miles every day. And then on the weekend, do like a 20 miler. And then the next day do a 30 miler. So it was all about the back to back long run. And that was it. 
Mm. So that really confused me. And I was already a coach at this time. I was a soccer coach. I was not a running coach yet. I hadn't taken any of those certifications, but what, and, and I was a trainer. So I really understood programming. I understood how to, how programming is a progression. You have to lay the foundation, whether you're weight training, whether you are training in soccer, like there's a foundation, like a buildup. And that didn't make sense to me that I would just start doing these massive back-to-backs. And so I started following ultra runners on Facebook and I would message them and ask them questions about what they were doing. Now, what I found to be so fascinating were the clothes and like what people wore. It seemed different than road running. I I noticed a lot of people wore these arm sleeves. Mm -hmm. Like I, that was so popular in ultra running were arm sleeves. Also weird, crazy outfits. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that stuck out to me a lot, but I'd like study some of these races. I'm like, wow, like people wear like weird patterns, like a weird pattern shirt with like crazy shorts mm-hmm. or like lots of tutus and, or people would dress up. Like, I just felt like that was a lot, either that stuck or maybe that's what just what stuck out to me Yeah, was uh, the costumes. And then I, I felt like people raced a ton. It seemed to be the people that I was following. So this is a really important note. Who are you following and why? And um, applying this to real life, be careful who gets to speak into your life. Mm -hmm. Be careful who you give permission to influence you. And this is a very like simple, lighthearted example, but it rings true in the bigger things in our life. You know, I think about even in 2020 when there was a lot of yelling and screaming and dissension and uh, man, it was just such a hard time in our community. But sometimes I would encourage people to say like, why are you letting those social media profiles scream at you? Unfollow them. Mm. Like you don't, you don't need that because what you consume starts to become you. What you consume starts to influence you. You know, if you're consuming a lot of um, anger and resentment, it, it's going to start to make you anxious. It's going to start to make you bitter and negative as well. Yep. So let's take this back into the ultra running. And this is a very lighthearted way. I thought I need some colorful clothes and some arm sleeves too. Now at this time, our kids were babies. I said this in our last podcast, you know, Eddie and I weren't making like tons of money. So I I was very specific about buying my running shoes and I would buy like two pairs of shoes for a whole year mm-hmm. and I buy them on the clearance rack at Marshall's. Um, all my running clothes were from the clearance rack, but I do remember buying one pair of these Nike half tights and I kept those for 10 years and I wore my, I wore these Nike half tights because soccer thighs, hello, I, I, chafe and still do pretty bad if I wear split shorts for too long. Mm -hmm. I can't wear split shorts for a long duration. So I always wear longer shorts and spandex whenever I race because I don't like things that move and rub and I just don't like thinking about it. So I had these half tights that I wore and then I took these bright colored socks that I got like at the dollar store and um, they're knee high socks and I cut them into arm sleeves because I thought everyone wears arm sleeves. I, and and then I had this really bright, I think I got it on the clearance rack at Target in their fitness section at the time. It was like this bright yellow or pink tank top that was an extra, extra large. So it was a, a little bit bigger than, than, than the size I would usually get. And I tied it in the back. And um, so I had this really interesting outfit which I thought I'm going to fit right in. Yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, then I showed up. I signed up for this race called American River 50. So I started training in the fall, like November of 2009. My race was April of 2010. So I had like a a pretty solid six-month buildup, which I always think is that's a pretty solid time um, in lead up. And when I got to that start line, um, I remember looking around and thinking, wow, there's a lot of different types of people here, you know, like not everyone is, <laughs> is in a crazy outfit. And, you know, a lot of these runners just like what they would wear if they're doing a road marathon or a 10K, but everyone has a pack. And um, I didn't understand how to line up or what to do. But somewhere or another, I remember hearing somebody say or reading a post that in ultra running, this isn't about just like running ahead and running your own race. This is about the community. And so it's very normal in ultras that you run with people and you have conversations. And I never forgot that that whole first year. I don't know where this came from, but I thought that it was rude to pass somebody without first having a conversation with them. Hmm. And so I started off this race and I made sure that I like stayed to the pack. And I, I talked, I, I stayed at the pack for the first half, uh, for the first marathon. So like for the first 25, 26 miles, I stayed with people and talked with them like the whole time. And I loved it. Yeah. Kept us on pace. Um, I think I got into that 25, 26 mile, uh, marker, like in, Three hours, 40 minutes, I think is what I remember. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot of bike path on there, but I felt like, yeah, we're, we're cruising. We're, you know, we're doing good. And yeah. So I'm going to pause there because I, I do want to talk about just how I, you know, the, the lead up into that, what that training looked like, how I navigated in that. But the main thing I want to point out to you is that when I eventually arrived at the start line of American River 50 is when I then learned how much my gear was so easily influenced by what I was witnessing from the people that I followed. Mm-hmm. Two, signing up for that race was also because of the people that I followed. Like they've raced that one or something Yeah, it before. was a popular one. Oh. Like that was the one that everyone was doing. And at the time, that was a golden ticket race okay. to Western States. And so I think when we start stuff that's new... We want to go where the most people are. We want to go where it's uh, has the most glitter. It's the most popular. That seems mm-hmm. to be what everyone else is doing. So that's what I'm going to do too. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some pros and cons, of course, to, to doing this race. The, the pros of this race is it had been around for a while. So it's very well run. And it's, it's still around today. It's mm-hmm. a great race. Very well known. Very popular 50-mile race. I, th- I still think it's a great beginner 50-mile if you're looking for a 50-mile. Uh, this one's in Northern California. There, I think there's a, a few shared trails on the Western States course. So it's, it's around that area. I don't believe they have as much bike path as they used to. I mean, I think the first 25 miles was on bike path, which is super cool because um, it's beautiful. It was There was trees all around you and uh, you were in beauty and that bike path it was pretty rad. But... I think that what is important is that you do your own research, like go outside of the lines of maybe of what everyone else is doing and really step into ultras in a way that is most authentic to you, in a way that really heightens your enthusiasm uh, for what you're about to do. Because you're going to need that in your training. You're going to need that as you get closer to race day to really be interested in this race you're doing. Don't be interested in race just because everyone else is doing it. And the point I'm, I, I really want to highlight here, ultras and trail running 
there's some terms out there. There's mutt runner, which is mountain ultra trail runner. There are so many different disciplines in our sport, in the world of trail running. That's one of my favorite things about it because you can really tailor your experience to your strengths and what gets you most excited. I I don't think that you will have as much of a fun time or be as connected or motivated if you're only doing what everyone else is doing. And hello, we can apply that pretty much to anything in life. Yeah. But let me break this down. There's sky running in the sport of trail running. So that's, those races are at altitude. So you're pretty high up on a ridge and a mountain. A lot of those races are usually shorter distances. There's ultras on a track where you just run in circles around a track for 50, 100, 200, or even further miles. Sometimes they're timed. Um, there's timed races. So you can sign up and do a race it's, that stops at six hours. And then it's wh- whoever ran the most miles, they're the winner within those six hours. Some races will have multiple timed within the same race. So there's people going for six hours, people going for 12, 24, 48. When we did the jackpot ultra, Eddie, you probably remember the guys that were going for 48 hours. I think there was even 72 hours. Uh, Um, Yeah. I can't remember. I know the 48 for sure. Yeah. And I mean, that was amazing. You're just out there seeing how many miles you could put in, in a, a designated time frame. There's loop courses. Um, and sometimes the loops might be half a mile, a full mile, two miles, or like the very popular Havelina 100, which is 20 mile loops. You do five of those. Then there's road ultras, uh, that are just run. You know, if you were to do a road marathon, they have road ultras that run the same way, but they're 50 miles, hundred miles. There's more mountainous ultras, which those are the ones that I tend to lean in toward because I love the mountains so much. That is why I do mountain running because I am passionate about mountains. You know, if I could own a cabin on the side of the mountain and stay there forever, I would. (laughs) But mountains set my heart on fire and that's where I want to be. So um, I choose more mountainous races. And what happens in mountainous races? Well, you're probably going to get a lot of climbing. You're going to get some rugged terrain. It's going to be a little bit more remote in some of the races, not all of them, but you're going to feel like you're you're kind of out there. The mountainous races, the longer they, they, they go, you are going to start to experience more weather changes or weather changing uh, at the, at the um, last minute. So it could be really hot at the bottom of a mountain. You can get to the top and it could, there could be a snowstorm. So there's a lot of variables in longer mountain races. And then the variety of distances. You can be a trail runner and never run the ultra distance which I really love. So we're seeing more and more 5K, 10K, 15K, 20K distances on the trail. We're seeing younger kids coming out for these too. I mean, I'm seeing kids that are 12 years old and 14 and 16. And um, it's super exciting to see that these are becoming more even family events. You'll you'll go on a weekend, there'll be the premier 50K, there might be the kids one mile, and then there's the 5K that the crew can do the day before. And then the, the big race of the 50K might be the next day. And so the endless variety really, I think is what is growing this community because it's just not one distance and it's not dictated by pace. So if you were to head out to run UTMB, this 106 mile, 33,000 feet of climbing race, you know, you're not going to get a spot on pace per mile for a race like that. And that makes it really exciting. All that to say, when I chose American River 50, yeah, it was one of the most popular ones. And so I, I, you know, I leaned into that. But the other thing is I was 
horribly afraid of running on the trails. I was very afraid of animals, of people hiding in the bushes. I thought people would be hiding in the bushes to, <laughs> to abduct me. I had all these ideas in my head about running on the trails by myself. I had to overcome these fears, but I didn't overcome those fears before running American River 50. In fact, my kids were so young too, but I'd say about 80% of my training was on a treadmill mm -hmm. at the gym. And you probably remember this, Eddie. Yeah, I remember. Is, do you remember my, me running my first ultra, all that training that I did? I do. I, I remember. Yeah. I, I, yeah. The kids were babies. Mm -hmm. And when I did my first 30 miler, my friend Joy watched Mackenzie and Isaiah. You were, you, I think you had an event at the church mm -hmm. that you needed to be at like all day. It was a Saturday. We had this horrific storm with flash flooding and hail. And I had been planning this long run for weeks and she came over and I remember telling her race day might be like this. So I'm still going to run. That was my longest run and only very, very long run of my entire training cycle. I did this 30 mile run. All other runs were if I did a long run, because you used to take the kids to McDonald's. We would laugh about this. Do you remember that on the weekends? Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I remember. They mm -hmm. they still remember. They love that. They love when you go around. They're like, sweet, McDonald's pancakes with dad. <laughs> so bad. I remember, though, that when you would come home, they would tattle on you. So they, they would, loved it. Yeah, they and then would. they'd be like, mom, dad took us to McDonald's. I know. Because yeah. I didn't like it when you took them there. <laughs> and you're like, if you're going to go run for three and four hours, yeah. I'm taking him to the McDonald's well, I was playground. Like, yeah, Googling what <laughs> what McDonald's had a huge playground. I could just drop them off. If you know our <laughs> Sleep children in the corner. personally, which it's, you will very much understand this. From the time my children were in my womb, they have been high energy. Yeah. Both of them. Very, they both have incredible endurance mm -hmm. and they like, even now, like, I feel like if we go to Target and Mackenzie needs something for, on the other side of the store, she runs to the other side of the store, even though we don't need to. Yeah. We're just cruising the aisles. Mackenzie's always run everywhere she goes. It's true. And she was like that since she was really little. And then Isaiah is just like monster energy all over the place, always singing and dancing and looking around and getting a mischief. I mean, I could never do a play date with him. Like I used to, cry, I used to put him back in the car seat after attempting a play date and cry all the way home because I, I think Isaiah at the time I had Isaiah that age, like all my girlfriends, most of them had girls and their girls would just oh, yeah. sit and just play stay on the playground or just sit there in the sandbox. And Isaiah is just running in every direction away from the playground. He wanted mm -hmm. nothing to do with the playground. He would run all over the place. And so having the opportunity to have you, Eddie, watch them on those Saturday mornings was a really big deal to me. It was yeah. like, we really had to plan for that. Mm -hmm. All my training leading up to American River 50, it was all over the place. There was no like consistent, well-coached, customized training plan. But what I understood and made sense to me, and again, this because I was both a soccer coach and a strength and conditioning coach. I knew how to program. I knew what I needed. And I think across the board, regardless of your sport, if you can just get as fit as you can, mm. if you can just get fit. And so I, I made sure that I was eating well. I was not really sleeping that great. I mean, how, both kids were like babies. They, they slept through the night, but like, you know, you're just a parent, you're yeah. always tired. But 
I just tried to get as fit as possible. And I was, I was, I was really fit standing at that start line. I was really happy with what I had, but it did not look like a well-structured training plan. So I'd mm-hmm. say I had a handful of runs that were over 20 miles. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of all I needed. I mm-hmm. think what is easy to do, and again, if you're looking at your first ultra, do not get caught up in the ultra runners who are doing long runs every single week or even midweek of like 25, 30, 35 miles. You must understand that a lot of times the runners are doing that. They have had a massive foundation or they've been, they have been at it for many years because, and speaking candidly, I, I can do that. I can go and run 20 miles on a Tuesday and I wake up Wednesday morning and it just, I'm fine. Like it felt like I ran five miles the day before. And I say this humbly because just even five, six years ago, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I would feel 20 miles like, whoa, that was like a long run. Yeah. But what's so beautiful about the human body is that when you consistently train it, you adapt and you are able to handle way more than you think you can. Yeah. And we did this in our lead up on our YouTube channel. There is an episode. It's one of the most popular episodes. It's in my lead up to Cocodona 250. It's the the title of the, and if you want to look up the episode number. Yeah, and, look it up right now. Um, and what that title is called. It's like back-to-back long runs and answering your questions. But the back-to-back long run are 30 miles. And I did this many, many times in my lead up to Cocodona. And I'll tell you what, listeners, that did not have the same effect on my body as it would have five years ago. I wouldn't have been able to do that and and continue training. But consistently training for almost 15 years in ultra running, that is what I've been able to build up to. Mm -hmm. So when you start a training plan, when you are looking to, this is my first ultra, I really want to train to this. What are the most important things that I can do? Your most important phase of training is building an aerobic base. You could spend six months, a whole year, just aerobic training. Do you have the title on that yeah, one? You want to say it? 30 mile run and answering your most asked question. Yes. Go and check that out because that was day two. So that was the second 30 mile run. So I had done a 30 mile run the day before. And then Eddie followed me as I ran 30 miles again. Yeah. And he was kind of like my aid station. He wanted to make sure I was well fueled, especially because it was day two. So your day two of a back to back, you have to be extra on the fueling and recovery system. But he then filmed me and he asked me these key questions, which are probably the most asked questions that I have gotten as a parent and career woman um, of my entire career. So, and I think that's why the episode is is so popular. Mm-hmm. So check that out on the Sally McRae Strength YouTube channel. You really, you can just put in Sally McRae and my channel pops up, but check out that episode. I think you'll be very encouraged because I do touch on some of the stuff that I'm talking about right now. Um, I talk about those early years, what it was like having babies, what it was like running my own business. So not everyone, you know, you don't have to be a parent to relate to it because for some of you, you are just as busy as a parent of four kids because, you know, you have a career, you also have a side hustle that you're trying to do. You're also trying to train for this race and maybe you're caring for your parents. And I mean, there's so many different situations that we all have where we experience the season of just busyness. Check that out. But what I want to um, just continue exposing in here is really the training that often gets confusing for, for people as they start their first ultra. Now, I did not have the resources that are out there today. 
And I'll tell you what, uh, Jason Coop's book on ultra running, you can get it um, on Amazon. You can also follow Jason Coop on Instagram, his website, but he has an incredible book on training for an ultra marathon. There's also Killian's book, Uphill Athlete. Both of these books are phenomenal resources. Jason Coop's is Training Essentials for Ultra Running. Yes. Training Essentials for Ultra Running. Fantastic book. Um, And Jason's a friend of mine. And so I think that, you know, get some resources. That was one of the first things that I did when I started into altering. It was I tried to find everything I could. I watched every YouTube channel, looked up people on Facebook, tried to read blogs about race reports. The knowledge that you can gather up, it is helpful, but you should also look at everything that you're reading with a critical mind, not a negative mind, but just like, okay, what else is are other people doing? Because some people can can line up at a race or go through a training cycle and have a really negative experience while other people could kind of do the same thing and really enjoy it. I don't have things nailed down perfectly. And here I am moving into almost 15 years in this sport. I'm still learning. I'm still um, finding out ways that I can be better, that I can improve. Eddie and I spent... Gosh, we went on a walk this morning. We mm-hmm. went and got coffee, went on a walk, came back and we had breakfast. And we spent a lot of that time talking about what I have learned in these 200s, yeah. areas that have, that have really shined my weaknesses, areas that I can improve on. And then we talked about my race strategy for Moab 240, which only Eddie will know my race strategy going into Moab 240, at least all the nitty gritty uh, details, which is really important to me. It was really fun to discuss that this morning. And to be honest, I think that's the only way we can grow is by being honest, looking at the areas you need to grow, already being aware of your weaknesses. So what are the areas that I really struggle with? I know for me, when I started in ultra running, I did have a lot of fear of being on the trails, but I wanted to do the sport. So I had to address that fear. Not a good climber at all. Uh, and, and part of that just has to do with just needing to learn how to run uphill, especially after being like a soccer player for so long and like just running flats around the city for so long now learning, like, how do you pace the uphills? Like, do I power hike like the whole time or do I, uh, do I run the whole time? I mean, I, I had to learn a lot about that. And I, I still think I'm still learning a lot about that because running uphill is different when it's when the uphill is only a 6% grade and you're running at sea level on a fire road. And then running uphill on a 20% incline in altitude um, in the Alps, totally different. And so you're only going to learn about those things by gaining that experience, but understanding that when you study a course... That also dictates how you run. So, you know, I look at sections on Moab, for example, there's some like beastly climbs, but there's also long sections of flat running. And so one strategy is preserve yourself climbing so that you can run fast on the flat. And that's something that I that was completely foreign to me when I first got into road running because I was a soccer player. I didn't like holding things in my hand when I ran. Um, I didn't like eating. And certainly we don't walk. There's no walking in, in running races. Like what? So part of it is, is kind of putting your pride and preconceived ideas about the sport to the side and really looking at what it is that you're doing. So um, whenever I go into a race, a big part of what I'm doing is studying the course. So I think this is the second point that I want to discuss with you. When you are choosing a course, especially for your first ultra, you're choosing that race, I strongly encourage you to choose something that you're excited about. So 
If you are a great climber, like you have, you've done a lot of hiking maybe in the past, you love being in the mountains, you're comfortable in the mountains and the mountains just get you going. Like you're stoked thinking about doing that 50 K in the mountains or 50 miles or, or however, whatever that distance is, then sign up for a mountain race, sign up for something with a lot of climbing. And do you need to live in the mountains? No, you can live in New York city and train for a mountain race. There is some incredible workouts that you can do on a treadmill and a stair mill, not a stair climber. You can use a stair climber, but stair mill is awesome to get your legs nice and strong for that a, a lot of that uphill running. So I think first choose a race that you're stoked about. And that's kind of how I, I chose American River 50. I was very happy that the first half was all on a bike path because that is what I primarily trained on when we lived in Irvine. We were living in Irvine, California at this time. It was all bike path and just neighborhood loops and yep. then treadmill. So that race fit me. And when you pick something that you are, that you just feel comfortable doing that you can ease into, I know sometimes we talk about, you know, be comfortable with being uncomfortable, like no pain, no gain. I'm sorry, but that isn't like in every single thing that you do. You don't always need to be in an uncomfortable place. What you do need to understand is that you will hit a moment or a season where you are uncomfortable. You're experiencing discomfort in order to reach a goal, but it is not this masochistic, you know, mindset that you need to have that everything you do needs to be like horribly hard and uncomfortable from the get go. You're not going to stick to it. And I see people start to lose their mojo. They start to lack motivation because they're thinking in their mind, well, so-and-so signed up for this hundred mile race in the mountains and I need you too. And it's like scaring me. And I don't know if I can do it. It's like, why'd you do that? You don't need to compare yourself to what everyone else is doing. Find a race that's going to excite you, that's going to help you ease into ultras, that is going to allow you to get used to aid stations, that's going to allow you to get used to using gear, um, volunteers, following markers, if you get to have pacers and crew. I mean, learn all that stuff, even just what that feels like. I mean, Eddie, do you remember American River 50, how little our kids were? Yeah. And what happened every time I came to an aid station with them? They would run to you and cry that you were leaving <laughs> them again. <laughs> yeah, they would some, be so confused. They as were to, so confused, but they also wanted to eat the aid station food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The first time that I experienced aid stations was at that race. I had no idea what to expect. When I was at that start line, I had no idea what an aid station would look like. I only knew water cups in a road marathon. Mm. And even my lead up to running ultras, I never raced marathons. I did one like once a year, just staying in shape. I never tried to set a PR or anything like that. I did qualify for Boston yeah. in my second one because I thought, oh, that's a cool thing to to shoot for. Yeah. And I was really young and just had like overall fitness. I didn't even have like a smashing time. I've never run like a fast marathon, which I shouldn't say that. Like it's, I guess fast is relative for everyone. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, and and qualifying for Boston now, like at the times are faster than than what they were when I qualified for him. Mm. So it's yeah, it's it's relative for all of us. But like, I guess as a professional mountain and trail runner now, if you were to look at my marathon times, I think my best time is like a three eighteen. Have there been times where I've wondered, oh, I wonder if I could run a sub three or do like a two fifty. Yes, but I also am not excited by that. I've mm. never desired to want to do that. 
But what I have, I've had a lot of goals and desires in trail and mountain running, and those are what I have been going after. And I think the sport is strong enough to stand on its own. You don't have to run marathons. You don't have to run a sub three hour marathon or a sub 130 half marathon to become a trail runner. And I think because there's so many variables in ultra and trail running that we have to work on, that we have to fine tune that are very different from road running, it makes the sport very unique and makes it standalone. It also makes the sport hard to measure. You know, if I were to say to somebody who's been in ultra running for a while and I said, hey, I ran a 10 hour, let's say as a pro, I ran a 10 hour 50 mile race. Now, professionally, that isn't very fast. But if I were to tell you, yeah, I had 40,000 feet of climbing and it was at 9,000 feet the whole time, that's insanely fast. If I said it was on, on road, it took me 10 hours to do that on road for a professional ultra runner, that would be considered slow. Mm -hmm. And so all the variables come into play with times because of all the other stuff that is thrown at you. And again, that's just an example. I mean, those times, you know, I can be totally wrong on that, but I'm just, I'm using that as an example to explain to you that a time that can sound great in one event and sound slow in another event. Yeah. A 10 hour, 50 mile race is fantastic. So those listening, don't think I'm bashing times here. I'm just um, really pointing out that you can take the same time, but put it into two different environments and it translates as something else. Mm -hmm. Whereas on in road, in road marathoning, it's like, Running a 320 is running a 320. Yeah. Right? right. We look at even Boston when they had that really rough year with the rain and the the storms and stuff. It's like people's times may have varied by a few minutes because of that. Mm-hmm. It, it, they didn't vary by an Not hour. Hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't vary by hours. I love that about the sport. I love that you can't perfect it. You can't put it in a box and, and structure it, that you can't judge it based on just a time or just a distance. Um, there's got to be a lot of different factors going into it. And those are the factors that you also need to train in. Mm. So pick a race that is going to really tailor to your strengths. I had kind of mentioned this before. If you kind of grew up camping in the mountains or through hiking or just being out in nature, you probably naturally without even knowing it do better at just adjusting to nature and mountain life. You understand that you always need to carry a jacket because at any time bad weather can roll in. You understand how to operate on trails. You need to stay on a trail and look out for wildlife and what different plants are and that, yeah, there's rocks on the trail. Like I can't be looking around. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's hard for road runners to go right onto a trail. And there's, these are a lot of things they have to learn about. And so pick something that's going to really highlight your strengths. That's going to get you excited about the trail that you're going to run. And yes, regardless if you live in the city or at the base of a mountain, you can pretty much train for any race that gets that that heart going all right what about let's say that i this is completely hypothetical but what if i (laughs) i'm like you know what i've done the half marathon distance (laughs) and i'm thinking about just jumping straight into the 50k what uh, well first of all obviously like how do i like train for that but how long i know you alluded to it in your first 50 mile or you said like close to six months right november to April you, you train for it. But like for me, like if I'm jumping into a 50 K or any ultra distance, right. It's like, how do you, how do you know, like how long you should train for, especially, I guess if you're coming off maybe just a half marathon, like 
that's a big, big gap, big step right into that distance. So how long, like three months, five months, a year, does it depend on fitness? Like, how do you know how long it takes to train for it? That's a great question. I know. That's why I, that's why I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not hypothetical. I would love it's to completely see you do a 50K. You doing a 50K would just be amazing. I, I think that you'd be great at it. Just, I don't know. And I say that because I know how much you do love the mountains. I, I would choose like a mountain course for you. Really? Yeah. Is there like 50K like along the ocean? There is. Oh, well. Yeah. Th that would be, no, I'm still not. I'm, this is still hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't try to lure me yeah. in. <laughs> Poor Eddie has been traumatized by watching me do bad water and then all these gnarly yeah. 100 and 200 mile races. I mean, the Choose Strong Project was all very difficult races mm -hmm. where I lined up completely trashed because we put them all on top of each other. And then now watching these 200. So I know that you have a very jaded view of I do. ultras and have never been at one that was shorter than a hundred miles. No, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let's just first dive in to addressing what every person listening needs to know. So if you are like Eddie and you're like, yeah, I, I love five, 5Ks, 10Ks. I do half marathons. I don't really have time to train for anything longer, but I am curious about what it takes. When I'm putting on my coach's hat here to help you understand, when I interview an athlete, the first thing I want to know is what their goals are. So if their goal is to run a 50K and I want to cross that finish line, that's a really great starting point. That training plan is going to look different from somebody who is on their 10th 50K and they want to get on the podium or they're trying to run it as, as fast as they faster than they ever have in that distance. So, and that even goes for, Hey, my first 50K, I did it in 10 hours. I really want to improve and, and do it in seven hours this time. When I'm working with an athlete with experience, their training program is going to reflect that. Their training program is also going to reflect their current fitness level. And this is true if I were training you in a weight training program. Mm -hmm. So if you walked into the gym with me and the goal was I, I want to put on um, five pounds of muscle, I would want to first know like, well, how long have you been weightlifting? You know, do you, do you understand all the different exercises? What are you doing currently? Obviously your, your ultimate goal and how important that is to you. So you need to then have a base. So everyone's starting point is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, I'm going to also simultaneously address one of the greatest dangers in ultra running training is people will go on to maybe their favorite athletes page or their Strava and see how they are training that year and try to assimilate it. Mm -hmm. And that can get you injured really quick. It can also um, get you discouraged very quickly. And without taking in any of those factors. I mean, I remember when I was very um, active on Strava, I'm not anymore. And I've touched on this a few times. I just um, have had some unfortunate people follow me too much and, and track my maps and stuff like that. But I love Strava. I, I still use it for personal data, recording, all that stuff. It's, it's a great app. But I remember when I would go out for uh, recovery runs on very popular routes here in Southern California, where you see lots of trail runners and it's like a route that everyone runs. Yeah. 
And I remember sometimes in the comments, people saying like, oh, you, you know, like you ran that one really slow or people would be like, yeah, like I beat Sally McRae today on this. And I'm like, dude, that was like my recovery. Like I was just out for a recovery run. But as a coach, what I remembered in that was thinking like when you're out running and when you're training, no one knows what your plan is. No one is aware of like where you are in your training week. And it's nearly impossible to compare yourself to someone while they're in the middle of their training. Like, that's great that you beat them, but do you know they're on a recovery run? So Did like, you know they walked backwards the whole time? Yeah. yeah. So that's nice. You beat them <laughs> by 30 job. seconds on your tempo run. That was their recovery pace. Are you sure you still want to be happy about that? But even then, you should be proud of your, your training, no matter where you are. It's not good to you know, be, be comparing what other people's course records are. If they're the queen of the mountain, king of the mountain, if, if you don't know what the big picture is of their training in the same breath, I have to encourage you. I've heard stories of, I think Mark Allen is a great example of this. He was, if you were, if you were aware of Iron Man back in the eighties and nineties, Mark Allen is, is legendary. He was training at a certain pace, really fast paces all the time in his runs. And then he decided to follow Phil Maffetone's heart rate training. Well, he lived in San Diego, and when you are surrounded by the pro community of triathletes in San Diego at this time, it is very difficult to now be heart rate training when every run with your training buddies was go go hard from start to finish. You know, we're all going to run at 5.30, six-minute pace for this 18-mile run. Well, when Mark had to start heart rate training, he was running like in the eights and nines. And he said that that journey of running, wanting to run faster and get his aerobic heart rate lower at faster paces, it took him about a year. But what he realized is there is a lot of pride that he had, he had to put away in that too. You have to be able to pull back um, for the greater goal that you're trying to achieve and focus just on your training, no matter how fit you are. So if you have incredible fitness on the road and you're running super fast times on the road and now you want to do a 50K, obviously your training is going to look different in accordance to your goals. So regardless of what fitness level you're at. So that is is important. One, do not compare yourself to what other people are doing. You don't know what their whole training plan is. You don't know how long they've been training or even their philosophy on training or how many races they've done or if they are in the recovery phase or coming back from an injury. What's important is to understand that every good training program has a few very basic principles. And when it comes to running, you're going to have, you know, anywhere between one and three hard days of training and everything else around that is going to support that hard work that you did. And that comes in easy aerobic running. It comes in recovery days and cross training to support the hard work. Now, I like to advise, I have a 50K training program in the app. And one of the things that I encourage is that people do either my four or six week run and strength program first. The run and strength programs that are in there that are four weeks and six weeks, they are basically just teaching you to be consistent every single day. And there's three levels for each day. There's beginning, intermediate, and advanced. And you can choose to vary that up. Maybe on Monday, you want to do the beginner. Maybe by Thursday, you want to try the advance. But you kind of go based on how you're feeling. And these programs just get you fit. They just get you to where you're feeling good. Um, you're incorporating strength training, but it's mainly body strength and, and some bands and some dumbbells. But 
very basic baseline fitness training is one of the best ways to start an ultra running plan because your body just feels good and you're in that consistency of showing up every day for yourself and putting the work in. So you do that for four or six weeks, you're just going to feel a little bit better, a little bit stronger, a little bit fitter, and then you start that 50K training program. All right, week one. I think sometimes people will, um, I remember, you know, you you can, and you still can, find half marathon and marathon training programs online. And people will literally uh, be at this stage in their life where maybe they haven't been running for a year or two years. I mean, that's, it's a very different starting point than someone that's been running consistently for a while. Mm-hmm. But they think the way to start is with day one in a training program that they downloaded online. And that's that's kind of dangerous. That's how you get injured really quick. With the, the training programs you find online, they do not take you personally into consideration. They don't take all the different variables about you into consideration. So if I have an athlete come to me and they're like, yeah, three months ago, like I, I tore my ACL and I'm just building back fitness. Okay, really different starting point for that person that is just now starting to put weight back on that knee and is slowly starting to jog. But if I have someone that was like, yeah, I ran for like three years, Years straight. I haven't been running the last three months. Okay. I'm probably going to, but, but they're totally fine. Like no injuries, not sick, anything. That person will probably get into shape a lot quicker than someone's yeah. like, I, I haven't run for several years, or this is my first time trying it. So your best bet is first get into a consistent program of just building your fitness. And you don't need to be doing any crazy fast stuff. You don't need to be getting on the track and doing 800 meter repeats and all these hill repeats just yet. You will get to that, but not just yet. I highly also recommend the Lydiard training method. Arthur Lydiard, he is a legend in endurance training. Um, and you can pretty much use even his marathon training uh, philosophies to train um, for a 50K, a 50 mile, 100 mile, because the same thing, he he kind of has a pyramid approach in to endurance running. And that is you start with a big aerobic base and aerobic running in that aerobic heart rate. You can spend a lot of time there and get very, very fit, but it takes a lot of patience and not everyone likes that kind of training is just to run kind of like at an even, even a slower pace for a long time. But if you trust that process, it's incredible. The bigger aerobic base, the more intense workouts you can handle. And so having that baseline, building up that fitness before you start doing really hard, intense stuff is going to be your best bet. It's also going to help keep you injury free and it won't stress you out mentally. So sometimes I see athletes, they start these programs and they get so stressed out because they're doing hill repeats right away and they're doing hard intervals right away. And they're just like, dude, like I'm like really afraid of my workouts because I feel terrible on all of them. I feel slow and out of shape on every single one. And it's like, okay, I'm going to pull you back we're going to send, spend four to six weeks on just getting you fit. With that is going to come the mental part of it, which I'm very big on. That's like the the biggest thing that I like to talk about. Um, I'd say most of all of the content that I post, it's all mental stuff. It does not have to do with how well you can run a 10-mile tempo run. The key to any goal that you want to achieve. So even if that is running your first half marathon, running your first 58 
first 100 is going to be consistency. Mm -hmm. I think we can agree with pretty much any goal. Consistency is key, which is another reason why I like this four and six week program that I have in the app, because it helps you approach your fitness and strength in a more relaxed kind of gracious way. You are graciously building strength and fitness, but you're teaching yourself to be consistent every single day. Do something every single day, whether it's for five minutes or if you have two hours work at it every single day and you will have greater success when you are tackling your first ultra because you want to train your mind to chip away at the goal each day. And sometimes chipping away at your goal is taking a recovery day. Sometimes chipping away at your goal is just, I'm going to do yoga today to really get my body ready for the hard workout I have tomorrow. And once you are in that rhythm, once you're in that that pattern after four to six weeks, you are going to feel so much better and so much more mentally prepared when you start an actual training program. And you're more likely to stick to it too. Okay. That, uh, that makes sense. Definitely. <laughs> get fit and then get into it consistently. Got it. Uh, so let's say, okay, let's fast forward here. Let's say that I signed up for the race. I trained Well, I got fit and then I got, and then I trained and followed an amazing program in your app to get me to where I need to be, uh, you know, for the race. And, uh, let's say I'm leading into race week. What, uh, things, I guess, what things would I, sh well, should I be focusing on or practicing or leading into that race week? Like, what do I got to do now to like, now that the training's done, what should I focus on? Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think I'd want to kind of backpedal a little bit and just point out something that once you start that 50 K program, that every long run, you're practicing your long run nutrition. Mm, nutrition. Getting, nailing your nutrition is a vital factor in the success of getting you to the finish line. I've been in every situation, races that I my stomach's great, I'm eating really well, races where I'm vomiting or have intestinal problems. I've, I've felt all of the situations and have experienced the situations that have really held great factors into how I feel on race day, this is also one of the number one reasons why people drop out of a race. Mm. It, it's not fun vomiting for hours mm -hmm. and, you know, no judgment whatsoever. If someone's like, yeah, I'm saving this for like another race. Like, yeah. I didn't get my stomach right. I don't want to be out here for hours throwing up or like running to the bathroom every five minutes. Like clearly I got something wrong with my nutrition plan and I need to go back to the drawing board. I have been there. And I'd say that most runners have. Most runners will experience at some point, like getting the nutrition really wrong. Mm -hmm. And, um, and sometimes it has to do with environmental factors. You know, sometimes altitude can make yeah. you feel terrible and make it very difficult to eat. Uh, freezing cold weather. A lot of people don't realize that athletes tend to dehydrate more in cold weather than hot because when you're so cold, you're not thinking about, oh, I want to drink. You're just trying to think of like staying warm. And so sometimes athletes will get even more dehydrated in cold weather than they are in hot weather. So all these little factors you have to think about, you have to think about where am, am I going to be running at altitude? What is the weather going to be like on those days? And try to assimilate that in your long runs. And so if you live in a place that's really cold and you're training for a hot 
race, then layer up in the clothes and see how well you can eat when Mm -hmm. you are like burning up and see what that feels like. You might be really surprised that you don't do a good job eating those gel blocks when it's super hot, but you do a lot better drinking, you know, your G1M Sport or your Tailwind uh, when it's really hot. So using your long run to practice race day nutrition every single week is going to bring you a lot of confidence and it's going to show you what works for your body. There is not one perfect way to eat. There is not one perfect sports nutrition that I think is for everybody. Everyone is different, especially because some people can't eat certain foods, Mm -hmm. you know, and not everyone does great on sugar. Not, Not everyone does great with gluten. So I think figuring that out, the times that I've done the worst with nutrition are when I'm sick. So Lake Tahoe was a perfect example. We didn't really harp on that in the film, but I was very sick. Mm-hmm. And of, of course we didn't, I mean, there's some parts that you can kind of tell, uh, we didn't dive into all the ins and outs of what was going on with me, but I was getting progressively sicker as that race went on, mm. not being sick for many years. I was kind of like, dude, what's going on? How do I handle this? And then it was just a choice. Well, you're either going to drop out or, or you're just going to push through with it. And in my mind, I thought I can handle this for another day. I can, I can handle this another day and just get to the finish line and, and heal. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. But when you are sick, that screws up your whole system. You know, your body's trying to heal. So your immune system is compromised. And then if you're trying to push really hard and your body doesn't feel good, you're not going to be digesting food too great. So Tahoe, I didn't have very much food at all. Badwater, the year that I won Badwater, I was sick going into that too. I had intestinal problems the entire time. Still won that race, but I remember uh, being pretty upset at my time. You know, if I had Mm -hmm. not been sick, I would have moved better. I would have moved faster. And I think that, you know, I learned something from all of those situations. I learned that, yeah, I'm, I'm capable of pushing through some discomfort. But what I've learned about those situations, too, is to respect what your body is doing. If your body is broken down and doesn't feel well, don't expect it to be at its best and to perform well and to function well. And so sometimes you also have to make that race day a decision. If you are sick, maybe don't race. If you had your heart set set on running a Boston Marathon qualifier, like you just can't expect your body to move well if your body's trying to heal. Sometimes you just have to reassess your goals, make new goals. I think that's what I did at Tahoe. I was like, well, I, I have to let go of these expectations and goals and make new ones. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that this that I'm going to be able to keep moving is letting go of of what I dreamed of doing here, and and seeing what I'm capable of. Of now doing. So nutrition in that same vein, you might find you feel great in your long runs. And then on race day, things might be falling apart. So this is why I say practice everything in your long runs, figure out all the different kinds of foods that you're able to handle, because you might start your race using just all liquid. And then by mile 18, you're sick of that liquid nutrition. And suddenly, for whatever reason, Pringles sound good to you Mm. in the aid station. So if you're used to eating whole foods, used to trying other stuff, it won't be as scary 
to you in these ultra races when you enter an aid station. Now, aid station food will typically be the same across the board in the United States. So you're going to get sweet and savory stuff. You're going to get cookies, potato chips, bananas, oranges, uh, peanut butter sandwiches, pretzels, some type of like candy you'll usually find in there, like a gummy or something like that. That's pretty standard in an aid station. So I've even practiced with that stuff. I'll bring like gummy bears with me. I brought bananas with me. Uh, I like to get those little baby dried bananas from Trader Joe's and practice with those. But having a stomach that can get the calories in is going to really affect your overall race day. You have to look at food as fuel. And if you can't get the fuel in, you're going to have a really hard time getting to the finish line. This is one of the most overlooked areas that new ultra runners have is practicing the nutrition every single long run. Now, as you enter race week, um, and hopefully you've been doing this throughout your training, I'd say study the map. Look at where all the big climbs are. Look at where the aid stations are going to be. Um, what are the sections that are most runnable? If you're doing a course that has a ton of climbing, maybe there's also sections where you're going to do a lot of flat running. This will help you pace. This will help you know what to expect. It'll help you know how to preserve your energy throughout the race. I think it's also important that you look at the weather so that you know what you should be taking with you. Does the race have drop bags? I highly recommend for your first race, even if you have crew, use the drop bags because races don't allow crew at every single aid station, but a lot of times they'll have almost every station um, where there's no crew will have a drop bag. And the last thing you want is to be heading out onto a trail when it just starts raining and you don't have a jacket or heading into the dark and you don't have a headlamp. So invest in, you know, a good storm jacket that's packable, have a, a couple cheap backup headlamps. I, I buy cheap backup headlamps just to throw in drop bags uh, just in case mine goes out or I miss my crew and I need it. I think that being prepared, having the gear that you need for that particular course will also give you confidence and and bring you better success on race day. All right. Awesome. That was good stuff. I think that was super helpful for, I know for me, if I was <laughs> theoretically going to race something like that, but I yes. know for most people that was, uh, that was helpful. Um, let's talk a little bit more maybe about like the distance stuff. Like, so if I, again, hypothetical, if <laughs> I was to just say, you know what, I'm going big. I I'm watching these documentaries. Sally. I'm seeing what you're doing <laughs> in these two hundreds. I'm jumping from the, the half, half marathon distance. I want to go all in and go 200. Like, I know it's probably not, reality for most people, but what if they, what if they just wanted to, to go to the hundred or the 200 mile? Like, is that just stupid or do they have to kind of like, Hey, you should probably do like a 50 K or a couple 50 Ks before you, you do that. Like what's the general kind of consensus on that? Yeah, now, that's a great question. And I think we can make this maybe our last, our, we'll kind of round it up with this, with this last one. Cause it ties in with like a really good message too. And, and who knows, maybe we'll need to do a part two on this. Mm -hmm. Cause I feel like we can just keep talking. Yeah. All day on this topic. And well, I can't, but you can. <laughs> well, I do. I would love to in a, in a next episode get, you know, you've, you've done some pretty in, incredible crewing um, in places all over the world, different mm, races. And yeah. I know you've had time to sit and chat with so many people at these races. And yeah, you, you're an observer. Yes. I um, am. You, you watch people as they come in, what those crews are doing. You're listening. Like mm -hmm. you, it's pretty interesting to see the differences 
yeah, it how, is how people operate. Mm-hmm. You told a really funny story one time. I don't know what podcast it was, or maybe it was on a YouTube channel. The year that the first year that you crewed me at Badwater in 2021, uh-huh. and the guy behind me, his wife came out of the car and approached you on the side of the road. About oh food. yes, yeah, yeah, I remember that. She came to us. Uh, we were parked at the same like section of the road, and she came and and she says, "Hey." You know, you you guys are Sally's crew. You guys got it all dialed in. You guys have been doing this for a while. You know, like, you know, what, what works and what doesn't. You know, my husband over here, he's been, we've been giving him pizzas and, you know, all sorts of lasagnas and like, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing sticking. Like, what do we, what do we do? And we're like, how do we get in your car? That's, that's my question. Because Sally can we have has none of that. If it ain't working for him, can we have it? Yeah, because we just give Sally gels. Like, that's all she's... <laughs> <laughs> we got the 99 cent like ramen over here. Like hit me with some, some pepperoni. <laughs> yeah. That was a different way of, uh, of crewing for sure. But, uh, yeah, I remember that. That was pretty funny. Yeah. I think that you definitely are. You're nearing that expert level for sure. I don't crewing. know about that. It's, uh, you, I mean, it, it, the hours that you put into, I mean, they're unparalleled. I mean, it's like you're going days on end crewing and you're seeing so many different sides of me come out. It's really different from me running a 50 K in four hours. Like yeah. there's only so much that's going to go wrong in four hours, mm-hmm. you know? So I think what's, what I like to encourage people in, because when I first started in ultras in 2009 and I started reaching out to people mm-hmm. about races and distances, it occurred to me that there was a a shared view on how you go about running ultras. And that is that you start from the beginning with the distance. You start mm-hmm. with, and which makes perfect so sense. I was going to say, it's logical, right? It's like, logical. You don't give a kid a copy of War and Peace in kindergarten right. to teach them to read. Yeah. <laughs> they have sight words and they, they have the very basic. And so- what I found to be true was everyone's starting point is different. We're all excited about different things for different reasons. So go in the way that that you're led. Mm-hmm. Go go do what's most authentic and true to you and what you think is going to keep you in the game, right? You know, we we see that even, I mean, you and I grew up playing soccer. You know, if you have somebody that absolutely loves playing goalie, you know, and they're on the team for like five years. That's what they do. Like, I love playing goalie. Like for me, I was like, I don't ever want to play goalie. Right. Like, no, think I like scoring goals. Yeah. Like that was my thing. I wanted to be the top scorer on every team I played. If you put me in goalie, I feel like that's punishment. It doesn't matter. I'm still part of the team. Mm-hmm. I'm still part of the team. Uh, we're, we're still collectively out there winning. I'm I'm a part of the the soccer community. But man, you put me in the goal and I'm just miserable. Mm-hmm. It's it. I don't get excited about that. But I remember the goalkeeper on um, my team. She was phenomenal. She loved it. She trained just as hard as everyone else on the team. Like that was like her role. And she was so good at it. And I think that so goes in the ultra and and trail community. If you get really excited about running a 100-mile race, and right now your furthest distance is the half marathon, then do it. If if you want to jump from a half marathon to a hundred mile race and you're asking me, do you think I could do it? I will say, yes, you can do it because what is true in anything that you set out to do is that if you commit to consistently training for something, then you can achieve what it is that you want to do. 
because that is is the dictator. Mm. It, the dictator in you achieving a 100-mile race is not in whether or not you've run 550Ks, two 50-milers, um, and 100Ks. It really is about your consistency and discipline in the training. Is that extreme to go from a half marathon to a 100-mile? Yeah, that's a really far distance. Mm-hmm. And as we all joke around and say, like, no one even likes driving 100 miles, like, mm-hmm. to go 100 miles. But the thing is, it can be done. And when you get yourself fit, when you show up every day every day to train for it, and you tailor your training to fit that goal, you will achieve it. And I love to encourage people in that. There's a lot of things that I'm doing today that had you told me 10 years ago that I would be doing, I wouldn't have believed you. Mm -hmm. In fact, I wouldn't have been able to even wrap my mind around it, envision it, imagine it, because it just seems so foreign. I think of 10 years ago, that was 2013. I wasn't even signed by Nike yet. Mm -hmm. I got signed at the very end of 2013, beginning of 2014, actually. It was like January, 2014. Even at, at that time, I had... I had run one 100-mile race, and it was like a disaster. (laughs) I mean, I finished on a fractured leg. I still felt relatively new to the sport. I mean, if you told me at that time that I would be running multiple 200-mile races within a five-month span, I would have laughed. Mm -hmm. I mean, those distances, I don't even think they existed, or maybe they had just started, but Mm -hmm. they were very, uh, not very much talked about. And I think this is what is so exciting for all of us. In all that you do, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. There's a reason why from the time you were a little kid that you had this big, wild imagination. There is a reason why children have wild, big dreams and ideas in their head. Can you imagine if you continued with those big, wild dreams and ideas into your adult years and we didn't stray away from them? So often we stray away from the wild ideas and curiosity because we have been jaded by the pain and the losses and the challenges or the betrayals um, or critics in our life. So we stop dreaming. We stop um, imagining those goals coming true. And we start to judge ourselves um, against others, or we start to believe in the limitations and the negativity that other people have placed on us. And we think that as soon as we sense a pattern, well, this person said that I'm not capable of this. And this person also said that I'm not possible of this. So I'm just going to sit right here in the middle of that. And I'm going to let them uh, dictate my dreams. I'm going to let them dictate my goals. And that's a really hard thing to break out of. And I know that this idea of running 100 miles is not something that all our listeners have any desire to. So, Mm. so please, if you're listening, don't, don't think that that is necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm really using this as a parallel because I might be talking to somebody who uh, is maybe teaching kindergarten right now and is like deep inside thinking like, well, I've always wanted to go back to school and, and become a chef, you know, but that just sounds wild. Like that is like, the furthest thing from the way that anyone has ever known me. Um, And again, this is just a a random example, but like, I just feel like that's something that's such a big transition going from teaching in a classroom to like being a chef at a restaurant. Like that's going to take work. Mm -hmm. That's going to take schooling. That's going to take time. You're going to be uncomfortable in that transition and what you have to communicate to people and maybe letting go of some finances for a while, that financial stability. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns in 
making a big transition and aiming for something that you've always wanted to do, but you're unsure of how to do it. And I just believe that it starts with the first step. And the first step is believing that you can achieve it. Dream it up. If you can dream it up, you can achieve it. And so if you are someone, Eddie, who loves to run these half marathons and you think, you know what? I want to run a hundred mile one day Mm. and I'm fine if it's 2024 or 2025. It doesn't even have to be this year, but what do I need to do to build up to that? And I would just say, get really fit, tailor your training to, to meet that, be patient along the way. That's a lot of building and fitness and consistency that needs to happen, but you 100% can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, based on, if we're, if you're using me as an example, if we had to analyze my Strava data from the past three months. <laughs> let me just tell you. Our whole family let me just, joked about this last night. The kids were supposed is. to be going to bed and we <laughs> were literally rolling in the hallway <laughs> laughing. Me and Isaiah and Mackenzie. This is so pure. It's embarrassing. Like right? Mackenzie so. had tears coming out of her eyes. Same with Isaiah. I was like, what are we doing in the hallway laughing about this right now? At 1030 at night when we should all be in bed and Eddie is giving us a breakdown of his training from, from August to October. Yeah. Which uh, is September. How many miles did you run, Ed? Well, let's, let me bring it back to August because August I ran a two miles in the middle of August and then I ran... Which Four if miles. you want to know what the two miles was, it was at, Eddie is the vice president on McKenzie's cross country team on the board. So he goes to all, you go to everything, you uh-huh. know, all the kids on the team, you uh-huh. know, the whole staff, it's like the sweetest thing. I love it. But they go up to big bear here in Southern California mountains. Yeah. Every year they take a group, you know, they take about 30, 40 kids up to the mountains for some altitude training. And Eddie goes, he's one of the chaperones and they do a two mile trial race. It's I mean, race. what is it? We get it's put a on race. teams and yes. it's a cross country race among the team. Yes. They're not racing other schools. No, it's all 40 plus of us with parents and yeah. some of the coaches Amanda and all the kids. Yagi, shout out to Amanda. Yes. Amanda runs it too. Yes. Yeah, so we get put on teams and then it's a two mile every year we do the same one. And mm-hmm. so uh, I ran that in August. Okay. So. L- I, I think what Mackenzie was trying to understand yesterday was that you PR by four minutes, yet you hadn't run a step <laughs> for weeks prior. Pretty much. So yeah. it just shows you how um, insane I am. No, you are naturally athletic. You okay. have in your whole life. So, so then from so August, that so two annoying. mile, September, I ran four miles. And then October just started. I ran three miles on... Today is Monday. I ran three miles on Saturday and I am literally three miles. I am literally so sore still (laughs) from Saturday's run. So all that to say is that I am not a great example to jump from the half marathon distance to a hundred miles because I've ran, what is that? uh, Nine miles and three months now. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. Community, choose strong community, you guys. Choose strong community. I think we all need to rally around Eddie. Yeah, let's And we need to vote. (laughs) We need to vote on his 2024 goal of running a marathon and letting me coach him. What do you guys think? We are not voting on this. Yes. Social media, if you are listening, you are at the end of this podcast. Uh, One, share this podcast because the topic and the info here pretty solid for anyone that's wanting to run their first ultra. But 
Also, go ahead and give your vote. We are not putting we this to a We need a double vote. thumbs up for Eddie to run a marathon in 2024, coached by none the other, Sally McRae. We're not putting this up for a vote. <laughs> yeah. No. It's out there. Nope. It's out there. To All the right. thousands of people that listen to this, you are going to get voted, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to happen. You heard it here first. Let's Episode wrap, let's 31, Eddie McRae announces his 2024 goals. No, let's yeah. wrap this up here. I huh? think we need to make a YouTube series about it. Eddie trains for a marathon. That's going to be the title of the series. And for four months, four we'll do, months. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to do a twenty oh week build with you. Yeah, we're going to start with a solid six week aerobic base first of consistency. Do you understand? I just ran nine miles in three months. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm trying to encourage our listeners that anything is possible. Ugh. You do not need to be a college runner, um, athlete, uh, top of the nation runner to run these ultras, to run a marathon, or to just achieve anything um, that you want to do. You can have a starting point like Eddie McRae, who has run nine miles in the last three months and has a very interesting uh, <laughs> philosophy on how to train for things. Yeah, it's very interesting. Okay. All right. So we are ending this podcast because we got to go pack for Moab we since have we to go leave pack for Moab. in about yeah. a day or two. We we leave on Wednesday, which is the day after tomorrow. And if we can just encourage you guys, just taking a minute to encourage you in this, whatever crazy idea, and I mean crazy awesome, I like to say courageous idea that you have in your head, we hope that you take a step forward in that today. Even if it's spending five minutes on it, even if it's sitting down with a notebook and writing out what it is that you want to do, planning your steps. When you see it written out before you, it starts to become real. When you see that written goal, maybe on a post-it on your mirror, you're reminded of it daily. And the more real it seems, the more likely that you are going to put action to it on a daily basis. And then pretty soon it's going to become a part of your life that I am chipping away at this goal. I am chipping away at this dream that I have for myself. So no matter what that looks like, it doesn't need to be a 100 mile race. It could be running your first 10K. It could be um, doing your first half marathon. It could be doing a triathlon or getting a yoga certification or um, going back to school, whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever goal you're trying to achieve. We want to encourage you that you're, you are worth it. Your time is worth it. And there isn't a perfect path to achieve it, but there is one commonality in achieving anything. And that is consistently showing up and working at it with all your heart, no matter the duration of time that you have to work on it for that day. Eddie, thank you for your hilarious insight today and back and forth. Um, I would like to continue this conversation. I think that our listeners um, will glean a lot just even from all your years of crewing and the stories that you have. That'll be really fun. So we'll definitely do a part two on this topic and follow us along as we race Moab 240. Eddie will be posting on my Yellow Runner Instagram. If you want to follow the race during that weekend, they do not have the kind of media coverage that like Cocodona 250 yeah. has, which is totally fine. I mean, that our Vipa running is like the, the is, is dialed that in and they're kind of the leader in that. In fact, like different races are hiring them to, to cover their races. Mm-hmm. They do 
such a phenomenal job. But I will have a spot tracker, so you can you can follow my spot tracker. I believe I'm number one twenty five is my bid number. You can also look me up by my name if I'm incorrect on that. But follow me on Instagram, Yellow Runner, and follow the stories as Eddie will be posting whenever he gets reception. But we just appreciate any feedback, encouragement during that weekend. If you want to send in a video or a picture, a word of encouragement while I'm racing, usually when I come into aid stations, Eddie will read me or show me um, something when I come in and it just really blesses my heart. So um, we are excited to wrap up this Grand Slam of 200s. I believe that we are going to finish strong. I believe that last one is the best one. And I believe that the further I go, the stronger I get. And we are just getting started. When I think of the Choose Strong project last year, we finished at this time last year. And the totality in mileage was 507 miles. Mm -hmm. And we were, uh, well, I look back, I'm like, hey, we were just getting started. We are, we are building upon the Choose Strong project, which, which sounded impossible to me, which sounded Mm -hmm. like really scary. And, you know, like, can I endure this? And now we have more than doubled the mileage than we did last year. We've used the Choose Strong project as a base to complete this year. And it's just been so exciting. I've especially enjoyed sharing it with our community. I've been able to meet so many people this year as a result um, of of these races and of this podcast. So thank you again for the continued support. And I look forward to connecting uh, with all of you. Eddie, is there anything else that you want to add to this podcast episode? No, I just want to say, let's go. Let's go get Moab. Let's get after it. Let's get after it. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are today, thank you again for joining us. We appreciate you. We believe in you. Eddie and I are always rooting for you. And we hope that you keep choosing strong in all that you do. 